Yes, wonderful words of life. In fact, we're going to study some very important words this morning. If you'll turn with me to the book of the Revelation. Yes, the Revelation. Been working on for a while, and now we're going to dive into the Revelation. I remember when I was a new Christian, or even in the days before I was a Christian, the idea of the Revelation scared me a little bit. I didn't know if I really wanted to read it. Right? There's a lot of shows out there based upon end times and apocalypse and all kinds of things, and honestly, they're just not accurate at all. <laughs> okay? One of the things we're going to find with the Revelation is that it is indeed the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations, it is the revelation of Jesus himself. John was on the island of Patmos, and he had a vision. And a lot of what we read is things that he saw. So as he saw them, he had the vision, he interpreted them and put them down on paper for us. The good news is that we don't have to understand it to be blessed by it. Okay? There's some prophetic language. There's a lot of visual language. A lot of Some things are literal. Some things are not meant to be literal. Uh, there are issues with, is he talking about now, talking about then, talking about the future? What are we talking about? Well, really, we're talking about all three, past, present, and future. But this is a prophecy about how things have been, how things are, are now, and how things are going to be. And we focus mainly on the prophecy of the future, right? Well, a lot of that is very, very difficult to interpret. You have to go back to the Old Testament and pull a lot of different scriptures from a lot of different places. And quite honestly, it's frustrating as a pastor because I, I listen to a lot of preachers, I read a lot of things, and everybody has an opinion. And I wonder, okay, well, who's right? right? So I'm going to be careful as we go through the Revelation. It's important that we read it, that we recognize it is the revelation of Jesus himself to his servants. Who are his servants? You and me. We are his servant. Jesus reveals himself to us in this book. It is Holy Scripture. It is not meant to be completely understood because the vastness of the unknown of heavens and hell are too much for the mind to comprehend, quite honestly. So we use visual language to describe a lot of things that in some cases might seem horrific or seem grandiose, but they have a deep meaning to them. And we have to be careful in how we interpret the meanings. Okay, So we don't want to twist words to make it convenient for what our particular philosophy is or our belief is or even our doctrine. But we want to read it for what it is. Okay, so I'm going to read to you from the Revelation chapter 1 today. I'm going to read the entire chapter for you because uh, you'll see one of the things that is called out is that the reading of the Scripture and those who read it 
are blessed by it. It doesn't say you have to understand it. It says to read it and to listen to it is a blessing. So I'm wanting God's word, his Holy Spirit to move in you, to move in us, to move in this church as we read it, see how it impacts you individually. These are words from Jesus himself. Chapter one, the revelation to John, the revelation of Jesus Christ with God gave him which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We'll stop there. I don't know how you can listen to that or read that and not feel... God's majesty and glory in those words. This is a reassurance to you and to me and to all that 
Jesus is in control. Jesus says, this is my revelation. You are my servants. I died and I came back. I want you to know what's about to come. That I've got control. The one thing we can say about the revelation is all the spirits of the world, all the spiritual forces that are seen and unseen, they know the ending. They absolutely dread this book. And we're told at the very end, do not change a single letter. Don't change anything about this because it is a revelation from Jesus himself, from God himself. The revelation of Jesus Christ with God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. In the original language of soon take place, okay, we've all been walking the edge of history for 2,000 years, okay? We're not walking away from a situation or even towards the cliff. We're actually walking alongside the cliff. We're walking along this, and the word soon to be actually mean in the original language, not necessarily it's going to happen right now, but when it does happen, it's going to happen quickly. You ever been in a situation where you hope something didn't happen, or you hope it did happen, and all of a sudden it happens, and it happens quickly. It happens so fast that it unravels in front of you. You can do nothing to control it. There's nothing you can do to control it, nothing you can do to stop it. And that's the way it will be when Jesus comes. When we begin to see the events, we have likely been seeing the events already with the pestilence and the earthquakes and the floods and the hurricanes and the viruses and the death and the starvation and the wars and threats of wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of horrible things that we have seen. We've been seeing for a long time. We've been walking along that edge of time. Okay, we're not walking any further or closer to it. We're right there and God says at the appropriate time, the cliff is coming off. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. We're all walking that. So, soon to take place is not a misleading statement because when this was written 2,000 years ago, they had the same situation. When? Well, folks, the reality of it is that any single one of us could take our last breath at any moment. That's what I mean by walking on the edge. So what is one person's end time is not necessarily another person's. Right? We all face death. I mean, young, old, middle-aged, whatever, whether you're over 60 or not, you're all going to die. It's just the reality of life. Right? And many have indeed died and passed before you and I here in this generation. And they also wondered, when is Jesus coming back? How soon? And unfortunately, people have been misled by some fictional works of you know, authors. And some of it's good, some of it gives you hope, but don't have the wrong hope, okay? Jesus for sure is coming back. When? I don't know. I don't have a clue. Anybody says they know? They're lying to you. You could Google right now a thousand preachers, a thousand people that have prophesied that Jesus is coming back on such and such a date. I mean, right down to the minute. And to this day, I don't know how they still have followers, but they do. If I were you and 
I stood up here as your pastor and said, you know what, tomorrow at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, at 2 minutes after 2, Jesus is coming back. I would expect you would let me go right after that because if he didn't, I mean, what, what's the point? Don't lie. Don't, don't tell people what you know. I'm not any better, any different than any of you. I'm called to preach and preach the words in a way that you can understand it, okay? So a lot of what I talk about is to try to bring it down to your level, to my level, so we can understand that there's nothing to be scared about the revelation, particularly if you're saved. This is exciting. This is God revealing himself, and he's very strong with his language, so much so that in the very first paragraphs he says, so that your servants know, and that might be misleading to some. Well, we, we are his servants, and God is establishing that right here. This is my revelation. And just so you know what? I love you. I gave my son for you. Now I want you to understand something. You're mine. You work for me. It's not the other way around. So God, just for a moment, tells us and establishes that authority that you and I cannot dispute. You cannot dispute no matter how grandiose your thoughts are, how rich you are, how smart you are, whatever your influence is, we are all servants of the Most High. There's an astrophysicist named Neil deGrasse Tyson, a doctor from the Bronx. He's very famous. He's, a, he's compared to Einstein. And I listen to him. I listen to his podcast. I read his stuff. The guy is absolutely brilliant. He's exciting to listen to, but he's not a believer. Folks, he too is a servant of the Most High. Whether he acknowledges it or not. So it's very important, the words, that we are the servants. So he said in verse 1, He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And I love this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. And it says, for the time is near. The time is near. Time is relative, right? Time is relative. God's time is not necessarily your time, okay? Um, actually, if you, if you got into a discussion about time, time is a fascinating thing. Time is actually... A full day is actually just shy of 24 hours. It's like 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4 seconds. So every day we're off by just a few seconds. And then actually every couple of years, I know you talk about leap year, but it's actually a leap second. And since 1960s or 1970s, scientists have adjusted the atomic clocks, have adjusted the clock, so that we roughly have missed about 23 seconds. You don't realize it, but 23 seconds. So if I just stood here and counted 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, for effect, I could do that, right? 23 seconds is a long time. You can, a lot can happen in 23 seconds. Well, folks, it doesn't exist. You didn't even know it. Time is relative. My point is, there's things going on behind the scenes that you don't see. Time is relative, and to God, what is a day to you and me is... It's just a blink in the eye to God. I mean, I mean, what's a thousand years to God? He's eternal. One thing that Dr. Tyson can't answer, but always challenges people to ask him the question is, where did we come from? 
How did the solar system start? I don't know. And even if you suggest that there are multiple universes and that we came from another universe, blah, 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 which is, I know it's getting complicated, but it still doesn't answer the question. It still defaults back to, well, what started that? You see, nothing ever, something never comes from nothing. So there's always something, right? So there's always something that created something. There's always God. God has always existed. God always has been. This is an awesome thing. God is big. So he gives us this letter in, in the Revelation in, in all these short chapters and, he, and we're supposed to understand it? Give me a break. There are concepts we understand. We will. When we get through Revelation, you're like, you know, I really understood that. I didn't see it that way. I didn't, I didn't recognize it that way. And I will tell you in truth and what they mean. But I'm not going to tell you, well, this is what it means. This is when the tribulation is going to happen and this is how it's going to happen. If you're expecting that from this series of sermons, that's not going to happen. Okay? That's between God and God. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I can tell you some of the basics that are true, right? It's interesting. You need to have a really good understanding of the Old Testament to really begin to even interpret some of the language in Revelation as an example, um, check my notes here. I had a lot of notes, sorry. There are several, re uh, the majority of the scripture in Revelation, in fact, here it is. There's over, listen, 500 allusions, okay, to the Old Testament in Revelation. 500 references to the Old Testament, okay? There's 404 verses in the Revelation. 278 verses make some reference to the Old Testament. That's over 70%. So the Revelation is tied very closely to Old Testament prophecy. Prophecy is very important. Right? Some people today will look at prophecy and go, ah, it's not important. Ah, that's just crazy people talking. Well, prophecy was a very, very important witnessing tool and a tool in the Old Testament. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, uh, all those prophecies came true. So we can't look at this and go, well, it's prophecy. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't happen. Uh, uh, it was important enough to God that he put it in words. So whether we understand it or not, it was important enough to God. He said, I want you to, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand some basic premises here. I'm in control. Satan loses. Those who follow me will be with me. You don't have to worry about anything. Tough as our lives can be, God's got your back. God wins. I too have been down in the depths before and wondering, where's God at? What's God doing? How's God winning? Where's God taking me? And there are times we simply don't feel like praying. We don't feel like going to church. We don't feel like reading our Bible. We don't feel like doing some things. And Satan loves that. Satan loves that. But regardless of that, I'm telling you, those are signs. When you have those feelings, when you have those inclinations, and Julie knows I've had those, that is prophesied in Scripture. That in the end times, even Christians, even followers, even devout Christians, hearts will be hardened, and it makes it really easy to get off the train track. But it doesn't mean you're lost. It means you're not an effective Christian. You're not an effective servant, Right? been there. Have anybody been there? You're just kind of on that wrong track and don't feel like a Christian? 
Yeah, well, Satan loves to play that game with you. He likes to, he likes to take what he knows are your weaknesses and he tackles you in those areas and he tries to keep you there. And at the end times, it gets worse. And I, I feel that we're near the end. I feel that not, and when I say that, I don't feel like it's going to be two o'clock tomorrow. But I mean, in this generation, the next couple of generations, I just feel like sometimes my, my spirit struggles. And if my spirit is struggling, then I know other people's spirits are struggling because I force myself to be in the Word and to pray and do those things. And yet sometimes I go, hmm. let's just watch Netflix. Let's watch Prime Video. Let's, let's do something else, right? God becomes a nuisance to people. That's why we don't see the church is full. COVID was a great excuse for people to stop coming to church. Yeah, it was. It's true that signs used in Revelation have been a source of confusion and controversy for some readers, yet the signs are necessary because it expresses things of heaven. You know, John described things, again, I mentioned earlier, things he saw, so he could only use symbolic images to explain it. To us, this book is prophecy, but John simply recorded history unfolding before his very eyes as he saw it. John had visions from heaven. That's what this book is about. And he described them in his own language and his own manner. The signs are also necessary because there's a tremendous power in symbolic language. It's one thing to call someone or something evil or bad, right? And it's another thing to describe it as a woman drunk with the blood of saints, as we see in Revelation 17, 6. The image of a woman drunk with the blood of saints. That's pretty descriptive. That explains the level of evil much better than saying, huh, he's evil. So when you look at a politician, your least favorite politician, you go, he's evil, she's evil. Careful. Evil is a lot worse than what you think the word is. As it's described in Revelation. Be hesitant to say when somebody's evil because evil, by its very use, means of Satan, the worst, horrible, despicable. All right. Verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So there were a lot of churches, okay? There's verse four, that were kind of similar to the churches we have today. Some were very devout and following God closely and doing the right things. And some were a little more legalistic. Some were a little more liberal. Some were falling back in the old ways. Some were just uh, touting a, 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 a doctrine that wasn't true. And it's no different then than it is now. And God likes the number seven. Seven churches, seven lampstands, seven bowls. He uses that all the time. It's perfection. Seven is perfection. 
Okay? Doesn't necessarily have to mean seven specifically, but it's perfection. But in this case, he says to John, I want you to speak to these seven churches because here are seven examples of different churches in different stages. Not all are good. And not all are bad. But he loves them all. He says, you've done this well. But here's an area you need to improve on. So when you stand at the pearly gates, he's going to look at you. You've done this well. But here's an area you need to improve in. If you are relying on yourself, there's always an area you can improve in. There's always an area you're weak in. There's always an area you think you're doing well, but you're not. That's why we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus. <clears throat> he covers that sin. He covers that inadequacy. He covers that separation that you can't. In my life, even in my marriage, <clears throat> I have learned when I say things, when I see things, when I do things, because my life is very honest and open and transparent, I have learned, oh, hmm. The way I see that's not necessarily right. The way I addressed that wasn't necessarily right. What I said or did wasn't necessarily right. And we have a hard time as people accepting the fact that we can be wrong. We can have the best of intentions with the gloriousness of our loving hearts and still be wrong. One of my areas I struggle with is when I serve people, do things, I do it out of the kindness of my heart. At least I thought I did. And sometimes, to get to that point, I can be a little harsh. Right? <laughs> and I don't realize it. I don't even realize it. So, these churches, many of them are doing well from their hearts, trying to serve. But we're missing it somewhere. This entire, the revelation is, is addressed, the context is to these seven churches. So when, when we read the rest of the revelation, keep that in mind. This is a letter written by John as he interprets it. An angel's next to him, helping him with it as he sees the visions and puts it down on paper, pen to paper, <coughs> to these churches. Very important contextually that you understand where and when and what's taking place. He's writing this to these churches and to us. And we'll go through those churches individually, okay? We'll start with Ephesus and then we'll go through Smyrna and Pergamum and on and on and on. And they all have different things. And all of them will apply to your lives and our church today. So if you want to know, is this end time prophecy? Yeah but it's also current time prophecy. It's also past time prophecy. It's, it tells us where they've been, where they're going, and what they're doing. You know, if you really take Revelation and break it down, you could, you could, you could get very, very complicated because virtually every point, it's like those little Russian cups, those little dolls. You open one up, what are they called? I forget. Nesting dolls. What? Nesting dolls. Yeah, it's like a nesting doll. You open one up, there's another one. You open one up, there's another one. You open one, but they're all one. Mm -hmm. And when we get in there, you see there's seven lampstands and there's, you know, uh, seven churches and the seven bowls and there's always three. They're all one. Well, it's because it's trying to give us one message to apply in three different ways. Three different generations. Three different situations because he's not speaking just to the end time folks. 
He's also speaking to us. There's been a lot of controversy about Revelation. And a lot of what I'm speaking to today is giving you the backstory before we really do a deep dive. Is it, has it happened already? Is it happening now? Or is it going to happen? Well, the answer is all three. Okay. All right. The nesting dogs is all three. Some of it has already happened. Some of it is happening now. And certainly, the stuff that we seem to be consumed with is what is going to happen in the future. And that's where it's kind of exciting because in the future, we know God wins. That's, that's awesome. God wins. And you see at the very end of Revelation, the, finally the earth and the heaven comes together and newness are restored. A new heaven and a new earth. And it's a circular story starting all the way back in Genesis. Listen to this in verse 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by who? By his blood. And made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. So before anything is addressed to the churches, before we even get anywhere in depth, he wants us to know something. He's coming. And when he comes, there'll be no doubt. You won't have to pack up and go to Arkansas or Montana or wherever it may be because you don't want to miss the coming of the Lord. Trust me, you're not going to miss it. Nobody will miss it. There will be wailing. There will be people going, oh, not, oh, too late. We just went off that edge. Jesus is on the way, and there's nothing you can do. That could happen right now. That could happen when we walk out this door. It is going to happen. It is going to, that is a fact, okay? And I believe that, put my faith and trust in that. Do I always walk that way? No, and that's what we, we need to walk as though Jesus were coming back right now. But we all have a tendency to think, I'll get to it later. We're procrastinators. I like to call us procrastinators. I'll be a Christian tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. I'll go to church tomorrow. I'll, I'll be nice tomorrow. I'll witness tomorrow. I'll give my life to Christ tomorrow. Well, tomorrow may not be there. Don't be a procrastinator. Don't wait. Because one thing is sure, of all the words that are in here, one of the first things he says in verse 7 and 8 is, He is coming. Gee, it must be important. Huh. And looky there. Guess what verse it's in? Seven. He is coming. It gives me chills. I didn't realize it was in verse seven until I just read it. But it is. Nothing is by coincidence. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And listen, Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Every eye, doesn't say some eyes. Even those who are blind will see him coming. Even those who are deaf will see him and hear him coming. Those who are struggling with some type of mental 
uh, deficiency or special need will hear and see him coming. Again, you won't have to pack up your bags and try to meet him somewhere out in the desert or the Grand Canyon. It's not going to be like close encounters of the third kind. You've got to drive out to Devil's Tower and wait for him out. No. When he comes, he comes. You will, I don't know how it happens. I can't explain it, but I can tell you he's coming and all will see him, including those who pierced him, including those who persecuted him. All the day for them. And he's not just talking about the Roman soldiers. He's talking about those who have rejected him. I wonder what's worse to it. Put the nails in Jesus' body, hands and feet, and repented and turned to the Lord, or to have never received him. Who's it a worse day for? The person who has asked for forgiveness, even though they nailed him to the cross? Or those who never turned to him to begin with? Be like the thief on the cross on his right. You don't deserve to be here, Lord. He speaks to the other thief. How can you blaspheme this man who doesn't deserve to be here when you and I do deserve to be here? When you recognize the fact that you deserve hell, when you deserve what Jesus got, when you deserve it, but Jesus didn't, you're one step closer to salvation because Jesus did the work on that day. He says, you shall be with me in paradise. Recognizing that you are a sinner and not worthy of heaven and recognize that Jesus is not a sinner and he's not worthy of the death and the penalty that he paid. Jesus literally became sin for us where there was no sin in him. He became sin for us. Died for us. And those who reject him will also see him when he comes. That's not a good day for that person, okay? I'm not going to get into the rapture and all that, but I'm speaking in a literal sense and somewhat of a not so literal. But literally, when Jesus comes and you're still here, you're still alive, you will see him. The dead shall rise in Christ. They will be with him. This is a big deal, folks. This is where it gets, it's not so nicey-nicey. God's not your little buddy. Not just a bumper sticker or a slogan on a t-shirt, right? As much as we worship him in concrete and cranes and all that and have the songs just to break the kids in and realize what's going on, this is a serious deal. Jesus is real. I'm a coming. I don't know when. Hopefully soon. This world needs a fixing, doesn't it? This world needs a fixing. And I feel like he's a fixing it right now. But sometimes the fix doesn't come till it's completely broke. I don't like to get my car fixed until it's broke. <laughs> I don't like doing preventative maintenance. Folks, do some preventive maintenance this week, okay? Get close with God, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just ask that as we progress through your Holy Scripture that you lead us into truth, comfort us, Lord, lead us to salvation for those who may be listening, or lead us to uh, 
the very knowledge of your son Jesus in a relationship with him. It's in Jesus' holy and glorious name we pray and the congregation says, Amen. Now if you'll turn with me in your hymnals and stand if you're able to page 497 for our benediction hymn. 497.